0: Welcome back to Locked Women's Basketball. You are listening to episode 14 of our WNBA Retrospect series, a historical look back at the greatest prospects in league history. Today we'll discuss Brittany Griner, Elena Deladon, and Skylar Diggins-Smith, who were coined the three to see in the 2013 draft. Locked Women's Basketball starts now. Welcome to For
1: the win. Yes!
0: You are locked on women's basketball your daily podcast on women's basketball. Welcome. You are Locked Women's Basketball. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. We're friggin' available wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. My name is Nick Cruz. I'm your Saturday host covering the WBA draft and prospect scouting. I'm joined by my co-host, M. Adler and Lincoln Schaefer. M. covers the WNBA with a focus on player development and the game within the game. Lincoln is our biomechanics guru and contributes to our WNBA draft coverage at the next. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more right now. New customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. Our conversation subject today is the three to C from the 2013 draft. Griner, Deladon, and Diggins Smith brought the WBA draft to a mainstream stage as the most highly anticipated trio of prospects to enter the league ever. We'll discuss Griner's prospects in segment one. We'll also discuss Deladon and Diggins Smith later on. So without further ado, M, let's talk about Bernie Griner's
1: greatness at Baylor. The first thing that stands out about Brittany Griner, and also the second thing and the third thing, and the thing you basically can't stop noticing, is the fact that there is just a player who is six foot eight and no one else on her team in the regular lineup is taller than six foot one, maybe six foot one and a half. And this is an era where, you know, the average collegiate center wasn't six foot three, six foot four, like it is today. So you have a player who was just routinely more than five inches taller than everyone else on the court. It's just so funny. It's just so funny. Just the the difference in height is ridiculous. It's like watching Margot Dydek against WNBA competition. Like we talked about, you know, like two months ago. It's just, this player is so tall. It makes everyone else look tiny. Every time she shoots, you're like, how does she ever miss a shot? There is no way anyone can possibly contest it. Can anyone stop her from backing down? you know maybe
2: I mean historically the answer was no she's the most (laughs) talented and most dominant NCAA basketball player maybe of all time she has naturally talented at least yeah absolutely she oozes raw talent and athleticism and her fluidity and athleticism at 6'8 maybe 6'9 is just astounding it's Beyond description, how Hmm. much she's just like dominating on pure talent and athleticism.
1: It's ridiculous. And I think just from a scouting perspective, when you're dealing with a player like this, where they have so much physical talent, you want to say, or sorry, not say, you want to see how the... How their other physical talents, you know, can make up for, can accentuate that. You know, if someone's this big and clearly has this level of stride length and this wingspan for reference, uh, she is a plus seven and a half wingspan. She uh, her wingspan is seven foot three and a half, which uh, we'd usually rank among the best in the NBA in literally any year ever. <laughs> um, and that's the thing I think when you the first thing you want to think of when you, as a scout watching her is, are there other ways that sort of accentuate this? Or are we looking at, you know, sort of a current Camila Cardoso, where, you know, you're hoping for development there, but as it is with Cardoso right now, you know, there isn't a lot of, you know, mobility, agility that really accentuates that. And instead, you just sort of have uh, a big old block you can move around. But with Brittany Griner, you know, her stride length is so effective she's just she clearly does a lot of lunges in warm she has really good burst for that size she has elite core stability um and her hip flexibility i i think was frankly very impressive for her size and especially The way that she's able to combine those things and have her sort of footwork be really agile and really soft down low, you know, sort of within eight feet of the basket, she's able to move quite well and create angles where she honestly doesn't even need to.
0: Yeah, one thing for me was just her court awareness in general. She navigated double teams so well, like you said, M. just really smart basketball player. She knew what to do. She was um, super effective down low. But you said you guys, you guys said how dominant she was down low. But can we talk a little bit about her underclassman years, where she was like a fifty percent finisher, which is really weird considering she's six foot eight, seven three plus wingspan. Like, why, why do you think she was so bad of a finisher? And do you think it was just gaining polish on that end? Like, what do you think that kind of went into?
1: Yeah, I mean that is a question that i think when it comes to britney greiner both as a prospect and actually as a wnba player which of course we'll get to in our third and final segment when it comes to britney greiner it's almost opening a pandora bo- a pandora's box of sorts and we'll really get to this on the defensive end where i think lincoln and i have you know similar thoughts on her but in terms of the finishing you know there, like we talked about you want to see development over time it's good that the that the finishing is much better in her upperclassman years but I think it's hard to watch her at least in the way that we try to as an underclassman and see that. I don't think it's an issue with touch as much as it is actually working to just improve the angles and the window she has. Like I said before, the physical ability is there. It's there is almost no consistency to me, at least in how she was able to you know get there. There isn't sort of, I think sort of the patron saint almost of maximizing the, the opening and the window on every single shot is Aaliyah Boston. I don't think at any point in her South Carolina tenure, especially after her freshman year, that I ever saw Aaliyah Boston you know, put up a shot where I said you could have taken five more seconds to back down your defender or you could have worked a little harder to get that window open. And that happens with Brittany Grander a lot. It happens a lot more her freshman and sophomore years than it does her um, junior and senior years. And it's really good to see that improvement. But you almost have to ask sort of how much comes from that being her sort of refining which shot she's taking versus her being able to get better at opening all of the shots. And I think there's a little bit of a mix of both, which is both a pro and a con.
0: Let's get to the defense now, Lincoln. She averaged a lot of blocks.
2: A whole lot of blocks. She uh, blocked 17% <laughs> of two-point attempts uh, her freshman season. and That's a lot. second in the uh, history of NCAA women's basketball in block shots per game, but uh, blows everyone out of the water in total blocks. She blocked almost 750 shots in her <laughs> four years at Baylor, which I, I can't even conceptualize that number. Brittany Grider kind of breaks my brain because, like, the natural talent is so prevalent in all areas of her game that – like these few glaring weaknesses that we uh touch on here like the the um settling for shots and her positioning defensively uh are the two things that like keep her from breaking the scale
1: mm-hmm.
2: she's so talented and so like dominant that the the huge holes in Defensive positioning and uh, efficiency and um just knowing where to be and how to stand defensively are so frustrating <laughs> to watch when you see someone who's so good at everything else.
0: Yeah, her short her short roll defense was kind of bad to me. Her, her positioning... long
1: roll defense was also bad to me. Right. There's, yeah, you that, that, that's that's what you... any ball that's screen she's not defense sure.
2: it's a struggle.
1: Yeah. There is Again, we'll get to the grade in a second, and I do have sort of a thought on how it all comes together there, but like, you know, that's the the thing is, like I said with the Cardoso example before, when you have someone with this elite size and this elite wingspan, you say, "Ah, okay, but is there the physical tools to, you know, still move like your 6'4", even 6'3", if you're, you know, considering like like a Stewie. She has elite strides. She has elite stride length, especially in space. Her hand-eye coordination is ridiculous. I mean, that's how she gets the blocks. Aside from yeah. Other players have had seven-foot wingspans um, and haven't had these level of blocks. It's her her hand-eye coordination is insane. She has good hip flexibility again for the size, which you really would not expect. But there are so many ways in which she takes that athleticism and. I don't want to blame this all on her because we see later in the W career, you know, there's a cap to it based on, you know, just how the brain develops and all that. But she does develop in some of these aspects. Uh, And again, another reason I don't want to blame it all on her is because we have a history with this head coach, Kim Mulkey, of having these very athletic, very talented and defensively instinctual for lack of a better phrase, um, front court defenders. And it's kind of funny that Sophia Young Malcolm turned out to be the maybe the best like sort of hybrid defensive big of all time and then everyone else after her just is kind of horrendous at you know actually maximizing the little things the micro adjustments that separate fine defenders from elite ones or fine defenders from bad ones frankly there is so many times that you see BG effectively you know again i not trying to blame this on her on her cognitive processing, but it's it's either that or it's how she's taught, probably a combination, but she's relying on her athleticism almost to make up for the lack of micro adjustments. You know, she is consistently a beat light in getting her body into a rim protection position uh, because she can usually rely on her wingspan for it, but it makes the timing on those things kind of mediocre. And it means, you know, when she's on the weak side or when she's in space one pass away, You don't have as much rim protection, frankly, from that distance as you would expect from someone of that length and someone of that defensive reputation playing the center. Now, her drop positioning is okay, you know, just straight up in the drop, but it almost feels like she just goes through the motions of it because she knows that against college competition, she doesn't have to flip her hips that quickly and that accurately and reset her positioning. She doesn't have to sort of navigate positioning between, you know, those quick temporary almost switches when you're stunting or lunging towards the ball handler, in a pick and roll, and then recovering to the to the to the roller, she doesn't need to navigate that as much, and it leads to a lot of deep seals against her, and it leads to a lot of pretty easy pull up mid range shots when she's there. You know, it's just you want to see things here that just don't show up and they just never show up a couple things improve over time but for the most part you know she's still a beat late on recoveries she's kind of prone to freelancing off the ball and having poor routes in recovery it's just these little things that are very better that, that painfully clearly coaching mistakes that you know come to bear later no pun intended
0: let's get to our our grades on on griner you first lincoln
1: it's it's
2: a little weird um, because I think that of all the great prospects that we've covered so far, BG might have the greatest disparity between her floor and her ceiling. Uh, because there's, to me, there's there's not really a world where she's not an all-star. But to be an all-star, you, um, a lot of the times that player doesn't have the same ceiling as BG. Her athletic tools and the, um I think the obvious coachability, which is something that uh, Kim talked about is how coachable BG was at Baylor. But just a few fixes. And why
1: didn't Kim Mulkey coach her more?
2: A few fixes, and she's like the greatest player of all time, which it I I don't see a way to not give her like an MVP level grade. I think that I would
1: give Brittany Griner an 80 at Baylor. I I, it's interesting. You and I have a very similar process, um, in terms of coming up with the scouting notes. I, judging by Hunter's face, I think Hunter's with me. I can't, I, I I can't get there. Like, like I genuinely can't get to a, get to an eight. And it's because, you know, when you're trying to do these grades, it effectively, in theory, you should have about the same odds of going above that grade as going below. So if we're saying, you know, the odds of her being the greatest, like far and away the greatest player of all time are the same as her just being like a perennial all-star for you. That's that's okay. That's one thing. And I think, and that's what, you know, an eight should be. And I think that's fine with why we've had that with players so far. For me, it's the it's the combination of things, right? Because the defense, it's going to be impactful for me, but I don't know at this age, especially, and with you know, coaching of that era, I don't know how much positioning is actually going to improve once you get there, especially because it's so focused on those micro movements. If it was today, I'd be more inclined to say that that it's likelier to improve and to get to, you know, like a plus scale, maybe even like a five, six on positioning where it's really just like a three here. And I'm again, I'm not confident in it just because it's a combination of what appears to be on film, attitude, awareness, and cognition. Um, and then offensively for me, I, I would be okay with her sort of settling for worse looks and worse shots, just given her pretty great efficiency in college. If it wasn't for the fact that it's almost very one-dimensional, you know, she has a good turnaround jumper, she has a very effective sort of spot up from the elbow, but in that sense, it's still, you know, this is a player sort of confined to 16 feet. Even for as good as she is, it's not otherworldly dominance in terms of, you know, the production. It's very good, but it's not otherworldly. Um, even and even for as much as defenses have to adjust and really play around her. It's really funny to see the way defenses do that in college. In the W, you have so much better athletes that you're not, no one's going to be quadruple teaming her in the W. And, you know, that's not what happens. The biggest separation for me, I think, in terms of going up more than a full grade is, like, if she had any sort of, like, dribble control out of the face-up, like, any whatsoever, if she could just drive from the elbow to eight feet, seven feet, into a post up or into a layup, for me, like I would consider her the most unstoppable offensive player of all time. But since she doesn't, I don't, it's just for me, like handle is always sort of the hardest thing to improve. And if I can't project that it's almost sort of not quite one dimensional, but it's very, very hard to not get schemed out of that. For me, this is a soft seven, like a soft seven at that. If we're going to be honest, I see as much potential for a sort of perennial. Lower end all star, um, as an MVP candidate,
0: yeah. I said like a solid 70. I'm probably a little bit higher on you than my grade in terms of the 70, but I think Griner's hype as a prospect was because of just the unrealness of her game. Like, um, you'll there was an article recently from like the best prospects, most hype prospects ever, and Griner's on that list because she averaged so many blocks, she was so impactful. She was just someone we've never seen. But in terms of translatability, MVP value, I think, like you said, the holes in her game make it hard for me to kind of project a reasonable MVP outcome for her because there's just so much that needs work on. Some of that revolves on what Kim Mulkey did as a coach too. To me, it's it's
2: trusting the tools. I see all the tools that are there and the athleticism and the, um, the talent and I, I trust the tools is what I, right. I, that's my, that's why I'm getting to where I'm getting is trusting the tools and uh, seeing a lot of the mistakes that are made and thinking, oh, good coaching can fix this, which I, it's, I understand where you're coming from. I'm, I'm just trusting the tools.
1: Yeah, no, and I totally agree on the coaching point. I just wonder at a certain point how much of it becomes, you know, raw coaching versus at some point, you know, this this is a ingrained cognitive process. And, and again, especially on the offensive end where I think it's just the hardest skill to improve.
0: All right, so after the break, we'll get into our <laughs> scouting report on Della Don. But first, let's talk about FanDuel. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel. America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, the official spot, official partner of the NFL. And we're back. First, I'll turn it to you, Lincoln, for your scout on Elena Deladon out of Delaware.
2: Yeah, uh, EDD D was asked to do everything at Delaware. Uh, She's kind of the primary ball handler in a lot of sets. She's an all-world shooter. She's uh, showing passing and ball handling flashes that are really impressive for a 6'4", 6'5", player. Uh, She shot 49 percent from the field, 41 percent from three and 91 percent from the free throw line uh, while scoring 27 points per game at Delaware. So, you you know, that's uh, some of the most elite offensive numbers that you can conceive of to have that efficiency on that volume while being asked to do so much and drawing double teams on the perimeter in the paint. Anywhere she steps, she's making the right decision with the ball in her hands. She's basically, like, she's a a really, really, really great offensive prospect. Uh, Really a big size with guard skills, an elite shooter, um, and scores in so many different ways. She's scoring out of pick and roll. She's scoring out of post-ups. She's taking pull-up threes in transition. It's it's just a a magnificent experience to watch Elena Deladon play basketball at Delaware as a blue hen.
1: There's not a lot to really add to that. Not only because Lincoln is just like, yeah, here's every skill in the book, and she's good at it. Like, <laughs> I think if anything, Lincoln might be understating some of these skills because you know, just at her look at her size, she is three inches shorter than Brittany Griner, which is to say that Elena Deladon is the size of like the top half of starting centers in the wnba she is also playing she's playing strictly playing the four at sort of a four and a half at delaware we'll get into what position she plays in the w later but it is funny that someone who is six foot five has you know if she was five inches shorter we would still say she has a lead athleticism
2: for her size and her position she <laughs> she plays basketball at delaware i don't think she has a position
1: <laughs> <laughs> she plays volleyball too yeah she is Delaware basketball, and there's just you know some Colonial League players that decided to surround her with, who you know were there so the defense couldn't technically quintuple team her. Look, she has like insane core stability, her lateral athleticism, her burst, her speed. Everything is genuinely astounding. I think for as much as Brittany Griner jumps off the page um, because of the ridiculous size you watch an EDD and it takes maybe two minutes to be as impressed, not because she is just like physically standing there as much of a presence, but because when she starts moving, you go, Oh, this is a player who, you know, playing against Maryland, playing against Penn state was by far, it's not even close. She's the best athlete on the court against, you know, teams of like Alyssa Thomas and Lexi Brown by far the best athlete on the court. It is, I think when I talked about with Brittany Griner, you know, how do you, the scoring things come together to create a package where, you know, it's not just a play finisher, but it's someone who can really lead and direct an offense. You know, BG was a, was a plus passer, especially for a center and especially for as much attention as she commanded. And and with EDD, you know, There's just a lot less people to pass to at Delaware, to be quite honest. It's the Colonial League. But she's she clearly has a very good process about finding the open player. She she gets the ball in the right spot. And what's very what's I think the most impressive thing to me is Lincoln, you mentioned her like insane numbers. She she had put up, I think she and Caitlin Clark are basically in a league of their own when it comes to points per game against you know sometimes legit competition but edd still was not forcing the ball which is kind of crazy you know she doesn't force it she gets the she gets the the ball to the the correct outlet when it's not quite there for her but when it is you know she is impossible to read it is it is mind bogglingly smooth how quick she is from you know just just handling the ball to pulling up from three or pulling up from mid-range shot Versus just going straight off the dribble, she doesn't need to be in a triple threat position. It looks exactly the same until the moment it doesn't, and the moment it doesn't, she's either one step by the defender or she's pulling up. And again, you know, we are mostly watching her against a real power five competition and not colonial league teams, which is you know hard to do. We have to get different access to that, but that's what you have to do with this kind of player. And you know, even then, it's ridiculous. And her off ball movement too, I think, like her. I we have covered so few players who are even in the same stratosphere as EDD's off-ball movement ability, and I don't think any of them, probably other than Maya, had the ability to also be a threat on the ball.
0: Do you guys have any comps? The one I had first was Dirk. That was the one comp I had for EDD.
1: Yeah, no, I like that. I like that comp offensively for sure. I mean, for the obvious reasons. Um, <coughs> Sorry. Um, for me, the, the one thing I actually think, think Lincoln and I didn't touch on was, you know, defense, you know, when we're talking about someone who is going up in a lottery against BG and even though Skyler Dickens-Smith is not quite the same level, we're talking about defense. I think for me, it's very easy to look at EDD's pro career. And you know, make a very, very sweeping judgment that she's not a good defender, which I think is wrong, frankly. And we'll get into that again later. But also, looking at Delaware, you can say she's not a good defender there either and doesn't project up. I think that's kind of right and kind of wrong. You know, Delaware is playing a 2 3 zone almost all the time because they're Colonial League and because they don't have real, real power 5 level talent outside EDD. She's playing center in this zone. You kind of have to. When it comes to this, you have to almost shoot at. You know she's not playing the five as a pro. And you have to look for possessions where she's in main coverage, where she's defending a little bit more in space. And frankly, I was incredibly impressed by what I saw, at least in terms of the the raw athleticism process, projectability. Her hips move very well for her, her position. She's a great lateral athlete defensively. She is surprisingly good mirroring footwork in ISO and sticking with the drivers. She has really good, potentially really good footwork in uh, the post and uh, just covering rim protection, you know I think I think that's that's one of the things where you know it's almost the exact inverse of grinder where the impact isn't there as much, but the little things that you just need a little bit of coaching to c- come together I'm I'm really um, sort of hopeful about the, the rotational awareness she has and the ability to provide help on the fly for teammates was super impressive to me honestly and also her ability to just contest uh, that fouling. Now, there are some issues. She's a bit late on recoveries to rollers and poppers. She has poor timing at the level. You're, you probably never want to be able to hedge with her, which for the W at this time is going to be a limiting factor for someone who's playing the three or the four. But, you know, I, I think there are a lot of positives here um, on the defensive end. And at least when the lens, with the lens I come to, when I'm trying to project defense for players who are sort of in the two to four range, I'm looking a lot at you know, the little micro adjustments. I'm looking a lot at the projectability, especially when it comes to the hips and the core. I'm looking a lot at, you know, flash, not just flashes, but sort of consistent ability to to do things on the fly that, you know, maybe aren't as impactful at this level, but, you know, show that the potential is there and show that this player tries and has the ability to consistently do so, even if it doesn't always come about. That's what I get from EDD. That's what I don't get from VG, if we're being completely honest. And so I think, you know, there are little things here and there with EDD. Like I said, it needs to be coached up on on the defense. She needs to be quite literally playing the correct position in a lineup. And also we need a coach who's going to turn a lot of those contested uh, medis into threes for even as good as they were at Delaware. It was still like her three-point attempt rate was nowhere near what you'd actually expect it to be, at least in my opinion. And so I think, you know, uh, (laughs) frankly, the cop that comes to mind is like, what if what if Maya Moore was was wasn't quite an automatic three point shoot uh, three point off the catch shooter, but was also you know five inches taller?
2: Yeah, that's so Kevin Durant.
1: Almost, yeah. Actually, that's a much better comp That uh, yeah, that's basically. Huh? Yeah. Wow, that works. That, yeah. that works excellently. I
2: I did see a video of uh. Elena Deladon in college saying that she tried to model her game after Kevin Durant. And it kind of shows the the mid-post work and the uh, pull-up shooting and just the all-around scoring bag. Like you said, there's definitely flashes of um, really solid defensive fundamentals. Rebounding is really solid and uh, some rim protection. I had trouble projecting her defense in totality because of the the scheme issues and the part where she's playing basically the defensive 5 against the colonial conference <laughs> which is it's just a totally different game than what she's going to be doing defensively in the WNBA especially trying to move from the 5 to the wing is a difficult defensive transition but you you're right that there's definitely flashes there but i just i'm i'm struggling to project it in a in its totality
1: I think that's fair. I think the, I think the main thing I'll, I want to ask before we get into grades and, you know, we just gave our comps before we get into grades, what, what position do, would you want EDD to play at the pro level?
2: That's the issue. I don't know.
1: <laughs> anyway, Hunter. It's
0: probably the four.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty yeah, dead it's... set on the four. Again, just given what I see from the health, the versatility and the rotation instincts.
2: Which, yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, but offensively it's she's like a three oh, yeah. plus 3 inches right That's what, so yeah. it's, just, it's offensively it's a, it
1: almost doesn't matter weird,
2: order, right it might make for some some weird defensive fits which we see mm-hmm. happen in chicago but not her own fault. It's, it's yeah you know it's she's an awesome basketball player though
1: on that note, I think, you know, it's, it is not hard to figure out from, from my defensive projection, at least. I have her as a soft date. You know, I, oh. I, I see this player as, uh, okay. actually I have her, I have her at least as a soft date. I could be talked up to her to a solid date. You know, this is a player who to me, you know, I think the, I think the more likely outcome than not is at least a d- decent defensive player, if not sort of a plus help, uh, defensive player, and I think offensively, the floor and the ceiling are, you know, both at least all-star level.
2: Yeah, uh, I think that my slight uh, confusion with the defense is the only thing keeping me from the 80. She's clearly an offensive superstar, and uh, I have like a a solid 70 grade.
1: Very fair.
0: I'm in the middle. 70 70 plus is like kind of where I would be. Um, and for you, M, could you imagine Diana Taurasi, Elena Deladon, duo?
1: Can oh. I imagine it? Ah, yes. There were, you know, that's Oh my god, <laughs> Lincoln with his historical knowledge can speak to this better than I. Uh, with his historical knowledge of you know conversations at the time, can speak to this better than I can. There are. You no, know, I mean, there's no sense in beating around the bush. We're talking about we're talking about a a very a very masculine black player at at a southern university in baylor and one who you know there were signs at the time and you know she quickly came out after graduating as gay um versus elena Deladon, who was who was white she's a delaware you know she um, i wouldn't necessarily call her femme but she's not you know as just like straight up mask as um as a bg generally is and edd also obviously gay but that's but Socio-politically, it interacts, again, with her presentation very differently. And I think what you get is there is a combination of things. We talked in this pod for literally a half an hour just now about reasons why, you know, we are based, I think our consensus rate is effectively even on BG and EDD. Hunter, you and I could pretty easily be talked into. I might have just, I would do it straight up, adding EDD over BG in terms of ranking this class. And that's one aspect of it but again with what i just mentioned you know with this sort of sociocultural implications here there are a lot of people who are looking at these players and either consciously or unconsciously very eager to let their biases get in the way and say you know edd is clearly a much better player than bg you know a couple months after the trade just even through their rookie seasons both were playing really really well and you know you have phoenix fans saying oh we made the wrong pick is it because of racism some yes, some no. Plausible. You know, it, plausible. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Is it over? There wasn't is
2: it, really that much conversation, as far as I can tell, before the draft about who should go one and who should go two. Uh, I think that
1: because it was well, always pretty expected who would go one and who would go two, yes, aside very, from very you know, so. whether or not right. someone should. Very much like the Sabrina Satu draft. Mm-hmm. I think is the way I would co- compare that. Yeah, so where do we true.
0: fall on our consensus grade for? For, for EDD. I think it's a strong seven.
1: High seven, yeah.
0: All right, so after the break, we'll talk about Skywood, Dick, and Smith's prospects and more. Bird dogs make you look good. Bird dog stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. Bird dog shorts are the exact same as Lululemon, but fit way better. They fit way better than the regular shorts that make that are made of stiff, restricting cotton. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on NBA or enter promo code locked on NBA at checkout for a free bird dogs water bottle with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on for a free water bottle at checkout. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. Welcome back. I'm Jared Hunter Cruz, and it's time for us to talk about our third and final prospect of this episode. Skylar Diggins-Smith will give you the full round.
1: Hi, Sally Diggins-Smith is a fun player. Skylar Diggins-Smith is a very good prospect. Skylar Diggins-Smith is clearly an impact point guard. Skylar Diggins-Smith is really not a good reason to call this group <laughs> the three to fate. Like, I like her as a prospect, you know, but it's it's not hard to watch her and see, ah, fun player, probably a good pro it's it's also not hard to watch her for five minutes or to watch or to even look up her stats frankly and go huh not at all on the level of bg and edd like like it's not even close not the there is you know, oh and you know part of that's part of that's positional you know it's better to do yeah. a lot more things a lot better as a guard to be that level of impact but uh, the best way to describe it is there's a lot going on here when it comes to her game first of all Excellent physical ability, like especially for someone who is, you know, only quote unquote only 5'9", you know, excellent stop start, the burst, the lateral quickness, the sort of smoothness into pull up jumpers, well, pull up jumpers from the mid range at least, the at least coordination on three pointers, the how smooth she is at passing off the dribble, especially there is a lot of physical things that you're like, okay, there is no need to question at least what the sort of ceiling is, assuming that the skills are there. and. It is a very interesting question with her about sort of, I think, the defensive side of the game. Uh, From a, not even from a college perspective, that doesn't really matter here when it comes to guard defense, but when we're projecting and especially when we start looking and as we'll talk about in a minute, what happens with her in Tulsa slash Dallas on the defensive end, it's an interesting question. She has a lot of really good defensive skills to me. The lateral hookness, the hip flexibility, the activity in the feet are really good. Um, I think the biggest thing that stands out, at least on that end, before I throw Lincoln uh, to talk about the rest of the offense, because he can sum that up better than I can, there's just a lot of things that she clearly has good instincts on and very good sort of footwork and hit mobility on defensively, but like almost literally just does not know how to do what the correct thing is. Sort of on the scale of doesn't know how to, (laughs) can't, and won't, however you want to organize those. For me, there's, there's very little can't, and there's a heck of a lot of, doesn't know how to, which is a little bit surprising. I think, given um, Muffet McGraw's reputation, I
2: I'm in <clears throat> I'm in on Sky's defense at Notre Dame. I think it's, it's very fun and it's it's really good. Really, um, I think that she shows really good ability on closeouts and at the point mm-hmm. of attack. Yeah. Um, and offensively, she's a smart cutter, a really good passer. She can score in pick and roll. She can make passes out of pick and roll. She can kind of manipulate defenses. uh, And she very clearly, very obviously reads the floor incredibly well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that the reason she gets lumped in with this group is that there was kind of a drought of real high-level guard prospects in the WNBA. She's like the first high-level surefire lottery pick guard, one of the first in a while that we've talked about. And she's also the
1: first bang on lottery pick since since Renee Montgomery. But I would say only the first bang on quality, quality lottery pick in a good draft since, you know, at the earliest ivory lot in 2007 or at the latest Exactly. Maybe Lindsey Whalen. So you have this kind of
2: lack of guard. Uh, High level guard talent in the draft for a while. So then everybody's like, oh, we have this guard who can do everything that you really want from a guard. Is there a a mild scoring efficiency concern? Sure, but she can obviously put the ball in the hoop. She can make plays with the ball in her hands and without the ball in her hands, and she plays good defense. This is, uh, she's getting a little bit overlooked as a prospect who's very good because of the context of two of the best prospects of all time being right ahead of her who are both physical phenoms who do everything right and she's a really good basketball player
1: (laughs) right so it's almost a double-edged sword where you know she's a really good basketball player who gets who you know probably shouldn't get lumped in with those top two just in terms of diluting how we think about the top two but also shouldn't get lumped in with the top two because she's good in her own right and it leads to you know losing the nuance there. Exactly. With what you're saying on the offensive end, you know, for me, the accuracy from three uh was was decently impressive, at least just given you know the load on her scoring otherwise. And the fact that it's a little bit of a janky form, but it it still works. But so I don't know how much you want to project, you know, the pull-up shooting, but at least, you know, she has a really advanced feel for being able to create dribble penetration on her own, which again we're talking about guards, the, the, the only good guard prospect who had that ability uh, before her was Lindsay Whalen. She was the first, uh, Skylar Diggins-Smith is the first decent, uh, even good guard prospect at actually creating dribble penetration in almost a literal decade. I'm really impressed, as, as were you, um, Like you said, with her ability as a playmaker, it clearly gets better every year. She has a really good velo. She has great instincts for just seeing the right reads, adjusting to rotations, and just manipulating single defenders to open cutters that you don't even think that she's going to be able to see. You know, I think we get spoiled in the W, uh, or just in women's basketball in general, because we have a lot of really high-level passers who are high-level passers before that they are high-level scorers. You know, again, first player since Lindsay Whalen, I think you can say, is almost the inverse of that. And I think it leads to sort of almost underrating her ability as a as a playmaker who can generate efficient offense for a team. You know, People called her effectively a combo guard, frankly, for from her time at Notre Dame through... I would say, frankly, 2021 people, a lot of people thought of her as ideally a combo guard, which is just incorrect.
0: All right. So where do you guys fall in your grades for Skylar?
1: For me, you know, it's an insane amount of just natural talent and a very, but a very raw understanding of how to use it all. That gives me a high potential, but a really low floor. Again, defense is more don't know how than can't. It's definitely not a won't for me. Just because of how rel- how volatile this is and how reliant it is on coaching, at least in the scout, could always be wrong on that. And it could just be not able to come together. For me, that's a high six.
2: Yeah, that's about where I'm at too. Is in the the strong high sixties, which is not an insult to Skylar. It's not an insult to be a level below Elena Deladon and Brittany Greiner. Like she's obviously a very good basketball player, and is a top three pick in just about any draft in WNBA history.
1: And yeah, I mean, we have not given us, you know, there's a lot of guard prospects and we have not talked about. I think the literally the last true guard prospect we talked in depth about on this show was Sue Bird. But, you know, in that time, we're obviously watching a lot of players in terms of the competition here. She, Sky is the first, I think, is the first six for a, for a player who plays the one or a two since probably Lindsay Whalen for us
0: right yeah i'm I'm around the same like a six i think um we gave sue a six i think she's around the same tier of prospect for me um Mm -hmm. just in terms of there's not that many guard prospects that can do what she can do that come around this often at that time time period so i think she's a solid six for me um whenever we first started talking about this series i started watching film i was like this isn't top ten prospect all time but really good prospect really good guard prospect and as we've seen her in her career mm-hmm. she's an all wBA player at some points and she exceeds our grades um just because of situation of being able to kind of develop and be able to maximize what she did well
1: yeah and I think that that's the most interesting point that i alluded to before when it comes to sky and as we transition into talking about W W careers at least trying to get our listeners out of here without spending an entire hour with us um ever as fun as this draft was with sky i guess we'll go go in reverse order of prospects here you know like you mentioned she does she definitely exceeds the sixth grade um or the the high six and it seems for a while like like it's almost bang on or actually maybe a little too high the Watching her with Tulsa and Dallas, you know, we have long known 2023, the year we're recording this, is probably genuinely the first year since that franchise moved out of Detroit that there has been any ability to be remotely optimistic about their ability to develop players, both young and veteran. You know, Skylar Diggins Smith, any improvement she had there, I think, is very easy. It's a very easy call to say that any improvement she had in Tulsa and in Dallas was of her own accord, of her own working out, and just getting better as a as a player. You know, there the defense while she was at Tulsa, it has I think the same flashes that we keep see, saw, seeing at Notre Dame and that we talked about. It doesn't get better. You know, people thought of her as a very bad defender, and not that she wasn't a very bad defender, but people thought of her as just sort of a locked-in very bad defender at Dallas-Tilson, when I think, again, it's still kind of raw, even as she gets older there. She has some of the most ridiculous uh, offensive numbers in league history, just in terms of impact. It's kind of funny, her field goal percentage, and especially three point percentage, is just all over the place. When Phoenix traded for her, you knew what you were getting, really, as a playmaker. And I think it was fair to say you knew what you were getting in terms of drawing fouls, penetration. You had no idea what you were getting as a shooter. And, you know, it gets more consistent in Phoenix. And I think I'll use this as, as a transition to BG as well. So much credit, I think, in this one episode goes to Sandy Brondello because Sky talked about many times how much she loved playing for Sandy and how Sandy really inspired her to play defense in a way that she previously hadn't. And it leads to Skelly, Dick being a genuine all-defense all caliber guard. We see this in our matchups with Jewel Lloyd in 2021 and 2022. Those were incredibly entertaining matchups between the two where they're both No, saddled with a lot of offensive creation, but not too much. They're both saddled with being uh, a real lead guard defender. And it's incredibly fun to watch them go back and forth. There was one game, I think, where Jules set the single quarter scoring record for the league and Sky ended up with like 30 points. It's just so much fun in the ways that, you know, you see these Notre Dame prospects, uh, guards, we'll talk about next week, um, coming together with what you see in Sky when she actually gets somewhere that she can develop. And for me, that's, that's the interesting thing is, or as impactful as she was in Tulsa, there was even so much more talent. Hunter, like you mentioned, she really should have been a top five MVP finisher in 2020. Uh, I think it was 2022. So this is a player who had massive upside, like we talked about. And we kind of get that there in terms of Sandy with BG. You know, BG, I find to be almost a Rorschach test of, you know, how you watch the league. I think you can have her. As a top twelve player of all time, if you want, I think you can have her. Maybe to, honestly, in the like twenty to thirty all-time range, or the twenty-five to thirty all-time range, and I wouldn't, and and I wouldn't say that was wrong either. You know, this is a player who defensive i'll start defensively she wins two defensive player of the year awards they were both completely undeserved no offense she's a nice defensive player in terms of the blocks she had no business winning those awards when catch was healthy and when maya was playing and when phil was in her prime we can just be honest here the so it's almost a question of you know how much do you feel that phoenix gave up with the fact that she never really got particularly good at you know consistent with protection. She was always a bit vulnerable in space. If you were able to space her on the backside, you are usually open to win pretty well on the front side. And that was you know, true for almost her entire career. Offensively, what we talked about with you know having a good turnaround, having a good free throw line jumper, it gets so much better. It's just so good what um, Sandy's able to get out of her and especially how she's able to help. Um, you know BG really worked for better shots in the offensive end. The handle never gets there in the way that you know I wanted it to. But in terms of, do, but in terms of, you know, the ability there, you know, just absolutely dominant. And especially as a pick and roll uh, big as well, that really develops in a way that you didn't see a Baylor just because Kim Ilky doesn't run pick and rolls. And I think for that reason, you know, you can end up anywhere you want on her, either one of the most dominant, unstoppable players of all time, or like an incredible play finisher with some defensive impact. But, you know, stru- structurally, she costs you some things that take a little bit away from it. You can end up anywhere on that. And then, ED, and then just to finish up, obviously, EDD wins two MVP awards. No one else in this episode did. EDD deserved both of them. EDD is, I think, you're wrong if you don't have her as a top 15 all-time player, but I don't think many people wouldn't have her there. Um, for the most part, she's, I would argue, along with Becky Hammond, is just sort of one of Two players who I think you can call just singular offensive engines onto themselves. You see this when you know you land in a spot with Sky and with um, BG where they're put in positions at least relative to lineups to succeed. All right, but with um, uh, to succeed. All right, but with EDD, she's playing in a lineup that effectively starts two centers with her and plays the greatest drop defender of all time. We talked about this with Sill. She's playing in a hedge. EDD is playing the three. There's no defensive effort from her in in Chicago. There are issues with Pokey's resume as a head coach, but you see it basically, you know, there are just so many things she's able to do offensively, just as an unstoppable killer. And that's why she wins an MVP in 2015. It's well-deserved. And when once you get to Washington in 2017, you have this run, 2017, 18, uh, and 19, and even some flashes in uh the two games she played in 2021 and the times when they were able to maximize her health last two years ago in 2022 where you know she slows down after the first sort of back injuries take their toll in the playoffs 2019 but you know that three-year run plus the couple flashes you see in chicago when she doesn't have to play the three next to two centers and she has some space around her she's absolutely unstoppable she destroys everything in sight. 2017 to 2019 that three-year run she just she destroys every defender that goes up against her no matter how good they are she has so many weapons in her bag she takes so many more threes even with lineups that don't actually space around her like we want them to do so it's the ability there is insane, and you. And I think you actually see genuinely from almost the minute she steps into Washington, the perception about her as a defender was wrong. I think these days, she is a quality defender as a four, even with decreased mobility. I think if you go back and watch her in her like true athletic prime, in a good situation with with the Washington Mystics, I think it's actually surprisingly impressive what she's able to do as a defender. And for that reason, you know, I think not only do, are, are the two MVPs deserved. But if anything, I think her career has probably been a little bit underrated.
0: All right. So if you made it this point, we appreciate you guys a ton. Thanks for listening to women's basketball. <laughs> Your first listen every day. Join the team with the next back next week for continued coverage of the WNBA Finals of women's basketball as a whole. With the college basketball season coming up, WNBA Finals now. It's a lot going on, but <laughs> yeah, next week you can join us again. Next week. For a historical scouting report on Jewel Lloyd out of Notre Dame, we'll also discuss Brianna Stewart in the following week. Have a great weekend, everyone.